0: Many of our episodes deal with difficult topics involving mental health, including depression and suicidal ideation. This can be triggering for some listeners, so please continue listening at your discretion. We always want you to focus on what is best for your mental health. If you or someone you know is struggling, please use the Crisis Text Line, which offers free 24-7 support for those in crisis. To Write Love in Our Arms has partners with them to connect people with a trained counselor. All you have to do is text the keyword to Aloha, which is T-W-L-O-H-A, to the number 741-741. Anywhere, anytime. A trained crisis counselor receives that text and responds quickly. To find more 24-hour helplines, counseling centers, and support groups, you can also head to TULOHA.com slash findhelp. That's T-W-L-O-H-A dot com findhelp. You're listening to The Wonder Podcast, brought to you by Be The Change Youth Initiative, where we believe everyone should be seen, heard, and loved. We're committed to educating, equipping, and empowering youth to use their lives in advocacy for others. The Wonder Podcast was created to be a space where we truly see and hear one another, because when we listen to people's stories, empathy is cultivated. So we'd like to invite you along with us as we listen and learn from others. This is The Wonder Podcast.
1: On this episode, my mom and I invite our family friend, Kristen Moore, back with us. Kristen is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And it's really important to us as we continue talking about issues surrounding mental health that we bring people into the conversation that have been working professionally in this area. Our purpose in recording these episodes is to provide our listeners an opportunity to hear our conversations. It's not meant to replace personal counseling, and if you need to seek help, please text HOME to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. So thank you so much for coming on with us again. We are so excited to have this conversation. Um, Would you mind introducing yourself for those who are listening to this for the first time?
2: Sure, yeah. Um, I'm Kristen, like you said, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I am a virtual therapist for women mostly um, right now is what I'm offering. Um, in the past, I've worked with teenagers with experience in foster care or history of trauma. Um, I've worked in a group counseling setting and um, counseled people of all different walks of life. I am also recently a certified Enneagram coach and um, I do a little bit of spiritual direction as well. So um, basically, I just keep getting trained in like listening, counseling, coaching areas. So, um, Several, several different areas of interest, but yeah, counseling is one of my passions, and um, yeah, that's why I'm here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it is.
1: <laughs> yes, um, so in the conversation with my parents, my mom talked about the realization that when people know about brain suppression or they knew about brain suppression that they pulled away, creating distance when brain and our whole family really needed real connection there's still a stigma surrounding these issues, um, about mental health, concerning mental health, so, for example, I personally know, and we personally know a lot of people who, if they have kids who are struggling, that would kind of say, like, there's nothing to worry about, it'll get better, it'll get better, um, so, and they also don't believe in counseling either. Yeah,
3: we've met, we've Uh, met several people who just don't believe in the need to sit and talk out your problems or your thoughts as well, so,
1: yeah, yeah. um but would you mind kind of talking more into this
2: Sure yeah um, I think that there is there is still some level of stigma unfortunately um, I do think that we're in an important moment in like the mental health realm that people are starting to talk about it I think that is one of the positives of social media is that people have started to talk about it on public platforms. And um, the more people see that, I think the more people feel comfortable being vulnerable and saying, like, hey, that's my experience, too. And so I think it really is coming to the forefront. And I think, um, you know, this generation that is growing up and young adults, like, I think that it is it is very different and that I think a lot of people are open to seeking um, mental health. Help or just um, a counselor or support in that way. It's not as stigmatized or it's not as um, kind of, I don't know, seen as something so foreign um, to the point that some people, even in some areas, it would be considered like trendy to like, oh, yes, my therapist says, um, which is like kind of funny, but like it's awesome. That's awesome that people are feeling comfortable with it. Um, and if someone starts counseling for it being trendy, then good for them. Hopefully they will experience some growth. Um, But yeah, yeah, unfortunately, there is some stigma, I think, just because people don't really know or just don't have a lot of experience with it. And I think, um, really, there's kind of a generational issue there, right? Um, You know, a generation ago, it wasn't as common, and it was more stigmatized. And even, you know, if you look at the history of like the mental health field, it's relatively new, it wasn't that long ago, that they were doing like, psychoanalyzing on dreams, laying on couches, you know, and that's very much not what Typical counseling that we think of today is like, you know, and so I think sometimes even you mentioned parents think, oh, this is how I was raised," and you know, my parents told me to suck it up or that counselors don't really help or whatever. And um, what I loved about you guys sharing your story was, um, Deirdre, you and Jamie, willing to say, like, "Hey, there may be a stigma around this, but like, we're going to do this differently. Like, we are going to talk about it and we're going to seek help." And like this the secrecy and the stigma it ends right here and our kids are going to know it's okay to to talk about these things and ask for help and those are the things that make a difference you even said in the podcast you said only we can change the stigma and i was like yes yes, (laughs) right yes that's true yeah
1: yeah Also, like, in my parents' situation, they knew something was off with Brayden, but they didn't really know what it was until Brayden came up and actually talked to them. So would you know of any, like, what are some warning
3: signs for parents to be looking for? Yeah, and I think, too, like, for us, it was, you know, I would talk to my peer group about, you know, Brayden and, or just our our kids in general, and be like, okay, like, is this like a typical behavior of a pre pubescent adolescent, or is there something more going on here? And I think I chalked up a lot of his moodiness or his being withdrawn as something as this is just typical of all teenagers. But I think deep down there were, there were certain moments I was like, okay, this, this might not be, but I just wasn't sure. So, like looking back, it's easy because hindsight's twenty twenty, you know. But like I think, in talking to teens now and then talking to their parents, it is a common theme, like you know that that I have come across so, Jamie and I both so many parents who say we just thought this was typical behavior. Like, what does that like what does that even mean, right? Like, what is typical? What's not typical in this situation?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is really tricky, especially when we talk about teenagers and, um, you know, we see those big mood changes. I've been there. Um, I was a pretty angsty teen for a while. (laughs) You can ask my mom about it. Um, but yeah, I think it's good to be, to be aware of like, A, what's, what's typical B what's like worrisome. Um, but regardless, I think especially with teenagers, it's always important to be proactive. And so if you're not sure, um, or just because they're being a teenager, like, definitely like go ahead and and check in and do those things you know that's only helpful um, to do that proactively but specific warning signs would be um, a sense of hopelessness you see changes in behavior isolation Um, if anyone certainly is ever like making preparations or writing goodbye letters or giving away their stuff um, that's a big warning sign threatening or talking about suicide um, we always want to take that seriously you know you hear unfortunately stories of people saying like oh they're doing this for attention it's never um it's never okay to write that off we should always take those threats seriously um, t- talking about wanting to die reckless behavior can be a warning sign um, having trouble like seeing the future or making future plans feeling hope um, if they talk about feeling like they're a burden or feeling alone or not having a reason to live, or things saying like others would be better off without me. Certainly all of those should be red flags to say like, whoa, 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 let's, let's stop and talk, let's get some help, um, let's figure out what's going on here. For us, a lot of this stems back
3: from a few years ago when you were in youth group, mm-hmm. and you came to me and said, hey, there are a lot of kids in youth group and a lot of kids just in your peer circle that were watching a show on Netflix that focused on suicide and you asked me to to watch it you're like well you just watch it and let me know if this is okay which number one I appreciate that you did and a lot of it was because like you knew that the subject matter was it very was heavy very heavy yeah. And so I I watched it. I watched the first episode and I think I actually binge watched the first five. I remember it was eye opening in a lot of realms because so much and so much of the feedback that you were getting from your peers was like, finally, there is a show that's re- reflecting the struggles that we are facing as teenagers. Um, but for me, I was just like, There, you know, it's so important that we have a safe place to talk about this, but without the veneer of Hollywood, without the normalization of the drugs and the drinking and how, yes, absolutely. Like we're so honest with our kids that this is a reality in our world. And like, it's something that we need to talk about. But the normalization of it was a little disconcerting to me, and, and plus, it really, really bothered me that they were showing so much triggering content without any reference to a crisis text hotline or any support, which I know they did change in right, subsequent yeah. um, series or um, seasons of it. But you know, I sat down with Sydney and said, "This is important. Obviously, it's an important topic." And it, obviously it's resonating with so many young people so i said let's watch a real like documentary on it and so we sat down and found a documentary on netflix called audrey and daisy and it was the story of two high school students who went through a series of um, events surrounding drugs and alcohol um, sexual assault that led ultimately to their committing suicide. And I remember sitting down with Sydney and watching that. I don't know if you remember. It was New Year's Eve. Yeah, (laughs) she does remember. It was New Year's Eve. Yeah. And um, and we cried. We had to pause it a couple of times. We had some really, really hard conversations about it. But, you know, I just remember saying, this is life. Like, you can come to us if and ask us questions, and we will do these hard things with you, and we will sit with you, and we will talk with you, Um, but it was just a really, it was a really hard season, because that was Sydney, right, and that was not Brayden, like he, we didn't even know that was in his sphere, Um, he was younger than Sydney, you know, and then what happened for us is he went to youth group, and all of these kids were talking about it, and, and then, you know, he got the idea in his head and then he couldn't shut it down. And so, you know, we were just kind of stuck in this place of like, we want to have honest conversations. We want so much to help our kids, but you also, there's this place of like, what's too much for them? What's not enough. And again, hindsight's 2020, would I have done things differently and had conversations with him sooner? Yes. But it's just like parenting is so hard like it is the most difficult thing that I've ever done in my entire life and I've done some hard things (laughs) like I've been through some hard things and like I um I just feel like when we go out and we talk to parents my heart breaks because like our story um praise God like our story is one where we're still walking through a lot of things but a lot of the darkness we've been able to to get through. And there's so many out there that are still struggling. They're still stumbling, trying to feel their way through it. And so like, what do we do when we, as parents, we want to have the best of intentions to help our kids and have these conversations, but so many parents, they don't even know how to relate to their kids. You know, like, I mean, I had a conversation with friends the other day where They're like, teach me how to use TikTok. Like, I gotta, I I gotta be more relevant. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if I have to learn TikTok to be relevant with my children, like, forget it. Like, I'm done. Like, there's no, there's no way in the world I couldn't. That you got, you would kill me if I got on TikTok. On TikTok. (laughs) I know. So, um, but I mean, but that's the reality that we live in. So how, how do we have these hard conversations? And I don't like you know, I don't know that there's, there's not a cookie cutter answer because each parent is different. And each child is different, but like they, I know that there are going to be parents listening to this right now that are, they're going to say, yes, like everything that you said, I agree with, but I still don't know how to sit down with my kid. And here's another reality. And this was me, like this super confession here. I was so disconnected. I was so disconnected to my kids for a season of life because of work, because of other, like, you know, things that I was committed to outside of the home, still very much a part of home life and doing things. But I was, there were no margins in my life that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't see was what was right in front of me. And, and there's guilt in that there was shame in that and like wanting to course correct. And like, we just want people to say like, if that is you, it is okay. <laughs> like there's no guilt and there's no shame. And like, we are given a chance every single day to like, to course correct, right? To, to like make a difference, to connect with our kids, but literally we don't know how to do it. And so like, what are, I mean, baby steps, especially for those who might be estranged from their kids, they live in the same house, but they are estranged from their children. And, and that is a reality that I feel like a lot of people are not talking about. And so, like, when we talk about it, be to change the, the, the need to share stories and extend compassion and take action so often, that needs to start at home. Like, I need to sit down and share stories with my kids, I need to extend some compassion to them. Like, I, I remember when Sydney was nine years old, sitting down with her and Braden and we had all four kids at the time, but they were the two oldest, and saying, like, we have to make changes in our lives. And these changes might seem to you like we're punishing you. We're not. Like, we've just realized that mom and dad made some some mistakes when it came to raising you up. And, um, and we're not like, it's like, we're going to make changes and our lives are going to be better for it. And our relationships are going to be better for it. But like, it was a humbling moment to like, apologize to them and say, um, we're going to do better. We're going to try to do better. And then we gave them, like, we gave them the power to hold us accountable, which I always say was like the worst and best decision of our entire lives. If You give your kids the power to like, call you out, man the worst <laughs> but it's the best too, so anyway, like that was a whole tangent on like five thousand different things, but i I feel like there was I don't know if there's anything what I just dumped in your lap, Kristen, that you want to expound on, have at it
1: and I also think that it's important to note that with the show, the directors and the producers like had no idea of the impact that it would have in the way it had in some other people's lives and i don't want people to think we're saying anything horribly about them either no i think
3: i think that yeah i mean and i think they recognize that they made some mistakes like with the crisis text line right yeah and i think that in the end i think it was good because it did cause us to have conversations that needed it brought it to the forefront right for sure yeah
2: absolutely yeah i think that's a good point you know i think the shows like that sort of bring the conversation up and people start talking and even teenagers to say like oh like maybe i'm not alone in this you know which can be really powerful but ultimately um you know especially as parents like do we want hollywood controlling that narrative or um do we want to be having that conversation um because ultimately a tv show is for entertainment you know it's not um it is not counseling it is not a parent sitting down to have a conversation in a healthy way. Like maybe it's bringing something to the forefront, which in and of itself is good, but the actual show is for entertainment. And so I think as parents, it's our job to have that conversation and it can be really intimidating. because it's like, okay, how, like, I don't, I don't know how, like my kid doesn't even like me. Um, They won't talk to me about anything, but having an imperfect or messy conversation is better than having no conversation. And so I think we have to first be willing to have a conversation. And um, even if your child doesn't receive it well, it doesn't mean that um, you didn't make the right call as a parent to, to have that conversation. Um, and then I think even in that, to remember that while we desperately would want to help our kids in that scenario, our job is not to fix it or even take away the pain, even though that's what we desperately, desperately want. Like, our job is just to sit with them and to acknowledge their pain and to let them know like, Hey, I'm here with you. I'm in this with you. Um, You know, to be able to just reflect back what they're feeling. Like, I see that you're really hurting, you know, like that's, that's all we, we, that's where you can start is just to listen. You know, it's not about preaching to them or telling them or even telling them why everything is going on or why they feel the way they feel, feel, but just for them to know that you are here with them and for them. Is huge
3: yeah I mean I wish I had that four years ago like I wish I had someone because you're right and I never I'm, I'm having a moment right now <laughs> like I'm like I I felt the need to fix it like I think that that's just ingrained in us as parents it's like you want you see your kid in pain and you like I remember sitting on the floor with him when he was in tears and number one like having your child in tears for any reason is is excruciating when there's a physical problem and you can see it it, it's bad enough but when you can't see what's causing the pain like it's so much worse at least it was for me and all I wanted to do was like have him believe that it was going to get better one day and like and I didn't I wish I had had someone say to me just be in the pain with him and let him feel it and like empathize with it and like that's that would have like taken a huge burden off of me, which I think would have helped me be more present and available to feel it with them. And so I hope, like, I know someone will listen to that and be like, yes, that's what I need. That's what I need to do. I yeah, like, that was good.
2: I would say beyond that, um, it would be really important where my recommendation would be for the parents to get counseling for themselves it's a lot to process and you even name those internalized narratives that are just so easy as parents like to feel the guilt or like this is my fault or I should know or I should have done better or I should have caught sooner. And you know um, that's not necessarily healthy thinking or helpful in a situation. And so I think a to have our own space to process, but even a counselor can help guide you through how do you talk to your kid. Um, or they may rec- recommend family therapy. you know, there's a lot of things from there, having your own support to walk with you as you walk with your kid is really um, important. And then to be able to model honest conversation and vulnerability with your kid, even on your end, you know, um, even in small ways, like hey, I had a really hard day, or this is what I'm feeling, and you know, just to show like hey, it's okay to talk about hard things, or like hey, I'm going to a therapist, you know, like I think that's really powerful when kids can see their parents going to a therapist, and just like that, yeah, really normalizes that. Um, and then the other thing that I did want to touch on that you guys did um, when I was listening to your podcast. Um, intentionally or unintentionally—I mean, it was intentional—but I don't, I don't know if you realized at the time how powerful it was. Was just time together, and you guys really um, took that to the stream by <laughs> getting an RV and like really being in it together. Um, but that is—it's what every teenager says that they don't want, but it's what they need, you know. And so I think there are things like, okay, every night we're going to have dinner together, or before we go to bed we're going to just sit and have tea, or. A snack or talk or just you know on the car ride on the way home whatever it is i know people's schedules look different but carving out a time every day to just be together and maybe sometimes that's intentional conversation and maybe sometimes that's just hanging out but like that is so important for teenagers um i remember in when i was in high school there was a period where me and my mom ended up having to share a car after my sister went to college and um just because of the schedule we like we were spent afternoons together just on the car ride home. And sometimes we would stop and get a coffee or a snack or whatever. And at first I was like, Oh mom. Um, but like looking back, like my last year before I went to college, it was so cool to have that time together. And there was actually some, some healing in our relationship that took place because of time together, you know? And so even if a teen is resistant, it can still be a space for healing and connection. And if nothing else, they know, like, I know I can talk to my mom or I know I can talk to my dad. Um, or if I ever need to, like, this space is available, like, that is so important.
3: Yeah, that's good, that's interesting, like, I never, I don't know, we just live life, and so it is what it is, but, like, for you, what, I don't know, if there are, like, teens listening to this right now, that they're thinking, like, the last thing I want (laughs) to do is spend any more time with my parents whatsoever, (laughs) like, what, what would you say to them? That's such a good question.
1: Um, (laughs) I mean, like you said, I feel like it, it is one of those things that we've just gotten so used to because we do spend so much time together. And not like it was forced, but like that's just how we have lived our lives where we pretty much do like everything together. We go everywhere together. So I think like just giving it an opportunity. Um, I know sometimes what parents have to say can be a little difficult to hear and sometimes you don't want to hear it. Sometimes when we have conversations, even, like, weeks ago when we met for coffee, it's like, (laughs) oh, thanks for bringing that to my attention, Mom. (laughs) Now I have that to worry about and have that to, like, you know, figure out. But, I mean, I've spent enough time with you to know that you genuinely care about my well-being and you want what's best for me. So, because of that, like, and I've seen the way that you just live your life selflessly for your family, um, there is that trust there. And I think when you know, at the end of the day, your parents will do that for you. I think it's good to have that conversation and to have like just sit down and grab coffee or have a like, just chat before you go to bed. Um, That's always super, super great.
3: And it's not always been easy. Like I think think Mm -hmm. some people like look at like our family or our relationships specifically as mother and daughter and think, well, it's easy for you to say because you guys are super close. That has yeah, not always been the case. No. And, you know, when when you were, like, 15, you know. I, like, distanced myself from you, Dad. Right, yeah, and I think, you know, and a lot of it, you know, in our story, a lot of it was because of church and, like, things that yeah. we were walking through. Um, but there was some distance. And, you know, we fell into a trap. Like, part of our story is, like, we were we fell into this trap of, like, chasing the American dream. And like, if we just do X, Y, and Z correctly, then everything will be okay. And number one, that was exhausting. And then number two, what looks okay on the surface is not representative necessarily of what's going on underneath because Sydney was distancing herself from us. Brayden was struggling. You know, Jamie was working 80, 90 hours a week. And like, it wasn't, people would not have known it. And so there came a time where we had to like sit down and have a conversation. And I think that's maybe what I would even say to a team that might be like saying like right now is not, like I don't, the last person I wanna have coffee with or talk to is my parent. Right. Um, actually saying that because like that's where it starts. Well, I
1: think a lot of it as like the only way healing is gonna come from having those conversations is if we're honest with one another. Like, if I kept everything from you and still wanted to, like, or still we hung out all the time and you'd ask me questions and I still wouldn't say it, like, nothing's gonna change, in my feeling toward you wouldn't have changed, right? Because I wasn't being honest about where I am. But I think a huge part of it, too, was I knew that you were being honest Mm -hmm. and vulnerable with me, which made me want to open up and see that, like, you actually cared.
3: Right. And I think that Mm -hmm. was, that was a turning point. It was a turning point for Jamie, it was a turning point for for me. Was like, like we don't have to have our acts together. Um, you know, I mean, I guess at some point it's it's needed, <laughs> but like, but like our kids did not. I don't know. I go back to like like when I was in seminary, I did my final paper like on like youth and youth ministry and why so many youth are leaving the church. And in all the studies that I read, you know, it was at the end of the day, I said, look, they're not leaving when they graduate high school and going to college. Like they actually checked out in middle school. They just kept going to quote unquote church on Sunday because their parents made them. But, and it wasn't anything that they were necessarily learning on Sunday that they were walking away from, but it was because their parents were not the same people on Sunday morning as they were Monday through Saturday. And like, I just remember like reading that and being like, is that applicable to my life? Like mm-hmm. am, am I, cause my kids see me Monday through Saturday and they see how I act on Sunday. And like, you know, that's, that's a really hard mirror to put up to your face and you know that relates to us in our faith and you know in everyone's story is different but for us it was a huge catalyst for us to say okay again giving them permission to call us out and like there's something incredibly terrifying and in that it is like a walk in humility to give Someone that you've given birth to, or life to, or you've had control and guardianship of, to say actually like this doesn't line up with an expectation that you place on me, and so it requires us again to be super honest with people and um, and honest with ourselves. Like that's it. Like we have to be honest with ourselves, and like that's where the healing process starts. I think. I don't know. We're just like having a great counseling session right now. (laughs) So (laughs) thanks, (laughs) Kristen. I don't know, right? I mean, I I don't know. Yeah. 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 There's still like so
1: many different things. It's a journey. Yeah. We're still on it. And we'll be on it until we die. Like there's yeah, that's part of that's part of our humanity, I think so but being willing to like do the hard work
2: right what if we touch kind of going back to the first question just kind of touched on like mental health in the church Mm -hmm. I know because I know you talked about your experience but just like um you know not just with like the pastor but like um how you maybe what you needed from the church in that time Mm -hmm. Um, and but then also like what it was like to go to church and being and carry that and like if you felt like you could be vulnerable or not
3: yeah. In our story, you know, when we walked this out with Braden, it was it was not something that we were expecting. And we did we didn't know where to go to. And our first our first step was to go to our pastor. And which, you know, also was he and his wife were on our will to take our kids if anything should happen to us. So obviously for multiple reasons it seemed like the right course. And Um, I I mean, I remember the conversation still to this day because it just left such a huge imprint because in my vulnerability and like sharing what Braden was going through, the things that he was saying, and my genuine concern that, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't like kidding. He was very much in the throes of suicidal ideation. And... Um, his response to me was, you know, it was to go to a national ministry's website and find a reference, which, you know, where we were, there weren't a lot of Christian counselors, but there weren't a lot of, like, just mainstream counselors, like, and it was one of those things, like, we went everywhere, and unless it was an actual emergency for him to be committed to a hospital, like, it was gonna be months for us just to have a consultation, and so, I wanted my, was like, at least a meet with us. Like, from a spiritual standpoint, meet with us, pray with us, like, offer support for us. Um, even like the meal, right? The meal train. Like, even like the, the idea of like feeding my kids three meals, which seems like such a simple thing to do. But when you're really consumed with caring for a child, Um, Like you don't even think about that. I can't even tell you how many times I would say to Sydney, Hey, can you, can you fix dinner tonight or something? Like, you know, and just for, for the small tangible ways that a community could have come around us, um, just in the immediacy of our needs, but even long-term, like having more opportunities, having more support systems in place, having more teaching about this, because like, you look at the statistics right like there's so many statistics that people are affected by mental health whether it's depression anxiety self-harm suicidal ideation you know, there's so many different areas that the church doesn't escape it like we're we're not immune to it and like in you know from a faith p- place for us that's what jesus cares about So like, you know, so I, I don't, it it just seems to make sense. Right. And so, you know, and it's just one of those places that the church was not there for us. You know, our support system came outside of the church, which was such a blessing. And like it, it showed us, um, it showed us off, off, honestly, it showed us a lot of places where God was at work, not inside the church. And so, um, which, you know, was definitely eye opening for us as well. But I do think that the church is missing an amazing place where it can serve its community by loving people and just helping take care of immediate needs, but also supplying education and helping break down the stigma. Because if I'm really honest and like our, our traveling around the country, I thought we were the exception. Like I really, really did. I was like, there's no way that other people are experiencing what we're experiencing because this is just inexcusably hurtful, you know, and, but it's not, we, we were not the exception, and there were so many others whose stories were so much worse than ours, and it was heartbreaking, and, like, it's just such a great place where people in the church could, like, actually make a huge difference in so many people's lives, so,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah, I think, is that good? I think, yeah, yeah, I was just, I just wanted to touch on that. I think the church has um, a really big opportunity to help in this changing of the stigma, just like parents do and having these open conversations. Um, and so in responding well, when people do come saying like, Hey, we're struggling with this and treating it the same way we would with any other health issue. Cause mental health is health. Um, but also like in being proactive, like you're saying, and just having these conversations, um, cause it's very much, I mean, I believe it's very much of the heart of Jesus. Like, like he is with the brokenhearted, um, So like, yeah, like he's right there in the middle of it. So, so, so church should be too, and the church can be. And so I think there's so much opportunity there. Um, But it can feel really vulnerable when people aren't talking about it, or we feel like we're only ones um, to, to know how to ask for help. Um, But, but there are other people that feel the same way too. And so even like you were saying, to be able to be open about that, and then, um, to to realize you're not the only one and that other people have similar experiences. And then to be able to support each other in that, um, I think, can be really powerful anytime, but especially in the church um, and when that relationship is centered around Jesus.
3: Yeah, and I think that it's one of those things, too, for us, like, we just know like in our own experiences and even just the people that we've talked to, because when we were on the road, we talked to people with so many different faith backgrounds and with no faith background whatsoever. And we talked to people who were raised in the church, but left the church and have no association in faith because of, of their experiences. And so like, you know, it's one of those things for us, you know, that it's, it's important. Like it's an important conversation to have because you know our mission statement you know is has to do with making sure that all youth are seen and heard yeah. and loved yeah. whether you know in the church outside of the church but like we do have an abiding passion to to make sure that especially in the church that we do a good job of of taking care of our kids that we do love them and see them and hear them and um And fight for them and stand up for them and like really really advocate for them because in reality when you look at statistics like I said before the church isn't immune you know when we look at suicide rates when we look at rates of depression and anxiety and self-harm you look at the statistics inside the church and outside the church you know there's not much of a difference whatsoever and so like we to separate kind of does us a, a disservice. And I, I just, you know, we we want, we're going after all of them, right? That's, that's really, really important for us to have that conversation.
1: Is there anything else that you feel like should be talked about or should be shared with the listeners?
2: Yeah, so, you know, I know we talked a lot about stigma and um, therapy and counseling being new and maybe intimidating for a lot of people. And so I just wanted to kind of break down a little bit of even, that stigma um, around what counseling might be like. And so I mentioned, you know, sometimes people think about someone laying on the couch and psychoanalyzing your dreams or whatever. And so, um, you know, most counseling is not like that. Um, But counseling is a place where you can have someone who is um, listening, listening to you and supporting you and helping you with healthy habits, healthy healthy coping skills, um, just walk through really hard times in your life. And so a counselor is um, someone that's an advocate and it's a, it's a space that's confidential. And so I think, especially for teenagers, that's important to know because I think a lot of teenagers experience um, some fear, or resistance around counseling. So they're like, I'm going to talk to this adult and they're going to turn around and tell my parents everything I said. It is a confidential space. And so they actually like legally aren't allowed to disclose those things to a parent. You know, teenagers do have different there is a different level of disclosure when you're under 18 because parents do need to know as far as like safety. Um, and if the, the teen was having, um, you know, thoughts of suicide, of course, the counselor is going to talk to the parent about that. Um, but I think it's so important for teens to have that space where they know it's confidential and they can really open up to someone and that they're trained to do that and they're not going to shock that person. That person has sat and had those conversations before. So I think that's really important. Um, and then, the other thing I was going to mention was that, you know, even if a teen won't go to counseling is is working to find someone that they're willing to talk to. You know, ideally we want to get a counselor involved, um, but even starting with like a mentor or another trusted adult or a teacher or a coach, um, just someone, if they're not willing to talk to their parents, like who are they willing to talk to? And let's start there. Mm-hmm. Something else you guys did well that I really liked was that um, when you realized Braden was struggling, that when you went on the road, you were able to like start playing music and doing shows. And so I think especially when someone's experiencing hopelessness or feeling down, getting them involved um, with support certainly, but also involved in things they're passionate about is also important. So like we talked about the counseling and the support side, but also like, hey, what brings them joy? What are they passionate about? and I don't, I don't know, maybe that was like default by you guys. Like, yeah, we'll just go on the road. But like, I think that there is a lot of power in that Like, you were together and you were engaging in a passion and I think that's really cool. And so I think that's another way we can practically support our teenagers. Okay, like what do they love? What brings them joy? What brings them hope? Let's get them involved in that. Is it youth group? Is it friends? Is it uh, an instrument? Is it a sport? Um, let's do those things. And there's a lot of different ways we can support them in this time where they're just, they're needing apparently needing someone to come alongside them and support them and help them walk through the pain they're experiencing
3: yeah no i agree with that i think that was aimed for both of you for different reasons allowing yourself that healthy outlet to express yourself with lyrics but also just the emotionality of playing right songs yeah. and things like that like it just there's so many some people i like would braid like to articulate things is very very difficult and so for some kids like they they don't have the words to express what they're feeling. A lot of them just don't understand how they're feeling, but they still need to get it out. And so whether that's through sports or through mm-hmm. art or through, you know, music, it's it's just such a healthy, creative way for them to express themselves right. like outside of words. Right. So yeah, good. That's definitely a good one mm-hmm. for sure.
1: Yay. Yay. Well, this is awesome. This was awesome. I always enjoy talking to you and I'm excited to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> she's like she's our regular. I know. <laughs> I mean she's
3: a pretty great regular
1: though. She
3: so. is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just call it coffee with Kristen and we'll just talk about life. I she likes tea though. Oh, uh, that's right.
2: I like coffee too. Okay. okay. All right. Well, we'll still call it coffee with Chris. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll meet for coffee over Zoom and just record it, just because I'm sure everyone. <laughs> <has it. laughs> yes, I love it. So good. You're the
3: best. Yay. Thank
2: you. One thing I did want to mention, um, just from like a mental health perspective, is um, I think that there's like leeway on this, so I don't want to like freak out. I couldn't remember exactly when we were talking about like the documentary and stuff. So, in like men- we talk about like mental health and like stigma. You know a lot of people really advocate for saying death by suicide versus committed suicide mm-hmm. um and that's something that like i even is like i have to really like catch myself doing because that's like the language we hear a lot and so um just i don't i think that there's that's enough common language that there's some grace there but um since you are having this conversation if that's something that you want to be intentional about um, that is a thing that I wanted to like. No,
1: oh, i love that. I, I honestly think that we should keep that in the podcast yes. too, because like, if we're, this, if this podcast is gonna be a lot of just us having conversations with people and learning from other people, these are the type of things that like, when something that is, that we say is wrong, or like, uh, we should fix what we're saying. Or there's a better way to say better it. way. Yes, yeah, a better way yeah. to say it, and someone corrects us in that, I think it's great to have that so people know that like, oh, like, it's okay if I mess something up and now I'm going to learn and I'm going to use it that way from now on. So I think it would be good for us to keep that in here, especially
3: just so other people know. We even have a whole section that's called learn with us. Yes. That Mm -hmm. like, that this is like, we want people, like the number one thing that we found on the road was people were afraid to engage in conversation because they were afraid of saying the wrong thing, you know? And so like, here's a great example of like, this is what you said, but there's a, there's actually maybe a better way to say it um, because we don't know, like we just don't know, and, and we're we are more than happy to make that mistake yes. and let other people learn it. But I think that if that goes a long way, and just making other people feel better right. about the conversation and being more sympathetic and empathetic to those, especially those who have had family members that have have gone gone through this, that if we can do something to be more compassionate, right. then that's easy to do. So, thank you for bringing that to yes. our attention.
2: I love that. That's a very hum. That's a very humble and compassionate attitude. Um, but the I was just going to say the reason for that is because like the language of like committed suicide, even though it's like common language, it there's like some sort of implication of like guilt and wrong. And um, you know, I know there's there's some deep narratives there depending on where you're coming at it from. But you know, when we look at suicidality from like a mental health standpoint, is Um, You know, we're looking at it more as, you know, like something someone is suffering with. We want to have compassion for that. And so, and like you said, thinking about family members who have had someone in their family um, die by suicide, I think it's just a way we can kind of be sensitive to that um, and just being intentional to the language that we choose. But also, think, like you said, um, we don't want people to feel intimidated, like, oh, I might say the wrong thing, so I shouldn't say anything at all. So, again, it's important to have the conversation, say the things, even if you're not perfect. And when we, forget or don't know, then we apologize, and we learn, and we keep learning, um, and we do better.
3: Yeah, that's good, because the next, the next series after this next podcast, we actually dive into this a little bit more, specifically um, suicide, and so even just, like, looking back, like, we'll have to listen to that podcast again, because we've probably, may like said it in that terminology so it's really good for us to to learn like like you said to learn but we can keep having that conversation right. ne- next time around so yes. all right yay
1: yay well thank you to everyone who's listening uh, we're excited to have more conversations and we hope that you guys enjoyed this and we'll see you next time bye bye <laughs>